Justin, what would you like for Christmas this year? Probably a Nintendo Switch or more PS4 games. Harrison, what would you like for Christmas? Maybe a book about coding. Rosie, what would you like for Christmas? A new pet. Nicholas, what would you like for Christmas? Anything. Jed, what would you like for Christmas? Presents. Perfect. Avea, what would you like for Christmas? I would like a fun Christmas with my family. Anna, what would you like for Christmas? A good Christmas. Fiona, what would you like for Christmas? A laptop. Lana, what would you like for Christmas? For Christmas this year, I would like to be prepared for high school next year. Sophie, what would you like for Christmas this year? Um, this year, I would like to have a good time with my family and to get um, together and have a great time overseas. Okay. Isaiah, what would you like for Christmas? Uh, I'd like uh, some animals, especially reptiles, some robots here, you know, I love speed cubing and I'm also quite good at it, but especially time with our family and praising the Lord. Luke, what would you like for Christmas? I'd like lots of pet snakes and just snakes running around and lots of Rubik's cubes. Alex, what would you like for Christmas? Uh, I would like... Um, a new uh, mouse and a keyboard for my computer, or for a computer. And I'll be in Europe for Christmas, so I'd like to have a snowball fight. And most of the time I'm tired, so I'll sleep. Well, good evening, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Thank you. Great to be with you all here as we gather on Christmas Eve, celebrating Christmas together. Um, yeah, really wonderful to, to be with you. If you are new here, my name's David. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at the church. Uh, has anyone opened a Christmas gift already uh, at the moment? Oh, there's a few people who have opened Christmas gifts. Me and my wife, we opened our very first Christmas gift earlier on, uh, earlier on today. So we've made our way starting out with our, uh, with our Christmas gifts. Um, and over the past little while here at our church, we've been talking about gifts a whole lot. We've been going through a series, which is like a bunch of talks uh, throughout December, where we've been talking uh, about different gifts that Jesus came to bring when he came here to this earth. When we remember Jesus coming at Christmas time, uh, one of the things that we can always remember are the different gifts that he came to bring uh, when he came to this earth. Now, when Jesus came to uh, to this earth to, uh, to give gifts, he, the gifts that he gave was to fulfill our deepest desires that we have in life. Now, some of you might have come here tonight uh, just knowing that you're not going to get what you want for Christmas. Uh, all of us have people in our lives who are those difficult people to buy for. And some of you in the room, you're that person. You are the difficult person to, uh, to buy for. So some of you might already know if you're that difficult 
single person that you'll wake up on the 26th of December and you're going to be disappointed with what you have been given for Christmas. But the beauty of what Jesus did and the beauty of the different gifts that Jesus offers us when he came here to this earth is that we don't need to feel any sense of disappointment when we experience the different gifts that he uh, that He has given us because they ca- He came to satisfy our deepest desires. Now for me, when it comes to Christmas, I love the Christmas season. I love the traditions, I love the songs, I love the movies, particularly one movie. It's, my, uh, it's the one time it's socially appropriate for me to watch the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, at Christmas time. Um, but there's one thing I just despise about Christmas time, and that's the heat and the humidity. And in particular, uh, the, the reason I hate this is because you need to mow at least once, probably twice a week when you get into uh, this period of the year. Now, about a week and a, and a half ago, my lawn was getting a little bit longer than it should have been. It had been about two weeks since I had mown my lawn and it was starting to get a little bit too long for my liking. Now, you have to understand that the street that I live in Every single lawn is just pristine. So there is peer pressure for me to make sure that I have a very good looking, uh, very good looking lawn. And so on one day, apparently the hottest day in all of summer throughout this year, I chose to do every single thing that my yard needed. And so I went and mowed my front yard, had a quick break, went and mowed my backyard, had a quick break. Then I went, did the whippersnipping, had a quick break, did the blowing, had a quick break. And then what I did was save the most uh, terrible job for last. I needed to go out and do some digging. Now, by this stage, it was about 11.30 in the morning, and the sun was scorching down. There was a storm coming later on that night, and so the humidity was high and the temperature was blistering. And you have to... uh, And the other thing you have to understand here is in a previous life for me, before I became a, uh, a pastor at a church, uh, digging was actually a part of a lot of my everyday work. And so I thought I'd been, be fine. In a previous life, I was a, uh, a groundskeeper and did some, uh, did some concreting. And I thought digging in the middle of the day, that was something I used to do all the time. So surely doing it right now is not a, uh, a big deal. But it turns out that I've gotten very used to sitting at a, uh, in an office desk with air conditioning in the middle of summer. By the time I had finished doing all of the digging that I needed to in the middle of this day, I was drenched. I could not have been more wet if I had gone into the shower fully clothed. And when I went inside after doing all the digging that I needed to do, I just drank and drank and drank. I was so thirsty. There was an ache for me to, uh, to just keep drinking. And in John 4, there is a metaphor that Jesus chooses to use of water and having this desperate need for, uh, for a drink. Now, for all of us uh, in this room, because we are uh, used to the Australian, uh, the Australian summer, we understand what it's like to, to need uh, to, uh, water to survive. And the climate in Israel is very similar to ours. It's a very hot place. And so people knew what it 
it was like to thirst a great deal. Thirst was common, and often we have this thirst uh, in our own climate for water on a regular basis. But what Jesus does is he uses this uh, this well-known metaphor that people would have experienced in their own lives, and he points out that every single one of us, yes, we have this thirst that most of us uh, will experience at different times, but there is an inner, deeper thirst that every single one of us has on the inside. There's something within all of us that thirsts wanting more than what we can just experience in, uh, in this world. And my guess is that for most of us here in this room, whether we're Uh, Whether we're ready to acknowledge it or not, every single one of us would have had an ache within ourselves at some stage wanting more than just what this world has to offer. And that's the thirst that Jesus came to fulfill. And that's the gift that he offers us here uh, at Christmas time. One of the things that we have a uh, that we have a thirst for is the thirst for life. All of us, we want to experience a fullness of, uh, of life within, our, uh, within ourselves. This fullness of life, this thrill of life, it's this, uh, it's this uh, desire that drives adrenaline seekers to continue to push their bodies and their minds to the limits. They want to experience more of what life has to offer. Every single one of us has this desire to want to experience the fullness of life. And in probably the most well-known verse of the Bible ever, we see that Jesus comes to offer us a fullness of life. In John 3.16, the most well-known verse throughout the entire Bible, we see these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever here 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but you will have eternal life. You will be given life when you believe in Jesus. Now, when uh, when many of us read this well-known verse of the Bible, for many of us, we've heard this uh, many times, we can have a certain picture in our mind. The picture uh, might be that one day we will die and then when this happens, our spirit is going to go up into heaven where we'll spend forever and ever singing in a choir to God, singing songs like we have here in our time tonight. We can think that this eternal life is made to do with this eternal uh, experience completely void of our experience right here and now. We can picture a disembodied soul dwelling with a disembodied God. Now, although that sounds okay, although that kind of eternity might be okay for some of you, that's an eternity that I'm not really looking forward to that much. If we just sing every single day for all of eternity, that would, be, uh, that would become a bit tedious after a while. But what Jesus says, what Jesus means, sorry, when he says eternity here, it's far more than just speaking about a quantity of time. Rather, it has far more to do with quality of life. Jesus doesn't mean that uh, uh, that when we uh, believe in him, which means placing your trust in him, placing your life in his hands, that at that point we will just live with never-ending death. It does mean that, but if it simply stops there, it doesn't necessarily mean good news for us. But Jesus means something more than that when he refers to eternal life. 
Now, in our modern day, we split history by BC, which is before Christ, and then AD, which is Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. Now, if you're more secular, you might refer to this as BCE, which is before the Common Era, or ACE, after the Common Era. Both of these are different guiding points, though, of how we split history. They use the birth of Jesus as the dividing point. But the early church uh, didn't use that as the dividing point of history, rather they would split history into the present age and then the age to come. So the present age is what we are living in right now. It's an age of hardship, of sorrow, of injustice and evil taking place in the world. But there was a belief that there was an age to come, this new age, where God would usher in this age to come. And in this moment, all of these different things would be made right. Now, when Jesus, when he speaks about eternal life, he is speaking about the life of the coming age, of the age to come, that period, that new period that, uh, that God will usher in one day. And the point of what Jesus is saying here is that the life of the new age is able to come in to the present age, it's able to be dragged into our present age for us to experience in some sense uh, of our, uh, in our present reality, although we don't experience it in all its fullness right here and now. And that happens through the person of Jesus. So Jesus' point is that eternal life, the life of the age to come, can be experienced here and now when you place your trust in him. You can know this future reality in your present world, maybe not in all of its fullness, but you can uh, experience elements of this life right now. So Jesus here, in this verse, we see a really clear choice that he is giving every single person. You can accept this gift... And you can place your trust in him. And through doing that, you will understand the fullness of life that Jesus offers. The promised future reality brought into your everyday life. Or you can reject his gift. And in doing so, he's not going to make you accept his offer. But doing so means that you reject both the quantity, but more importantly, the quality of life that Jesus offers. If you do accept this gift of life that Jesus offers, there are incredible things that happen, but none more significant than you moving from being pronounced eternally dead to becoming eternally alive. Earlier on this year, my wife and I, we celebrated the birth of our first child, uh, Zek. And this boy has been a miracle child in many ways, uh, many more ways than just one. That's uh, his first night just to sleep right there. And I've shared a couple of times about a, uh, a healing miracle that took place in our son's body. But in all honesty, simply him existing felt like a miracle on its own. Several years ago, around the time that my wife and I joined the church here, Sarah and I began trying to have kids. And for a long time, we tried and we would plan certain dates thinking, what do we do if, uh, if, he, uh, if our child comes at this time? And over and over again, we were left disappointed. We went and we saw doctors and we had tests done on us. Um, And we were told that there was nothing actually wrong and they couldn't explain why we weren't falling pregnant. And this can feel you feeling really hopeless. It can leave you asking that question, 
will this ever happen for us? And for many people, they are left asking this question throughout their whole life. We were asking these questions ourselves, but the difficult question that we could often receive was, so when are you and Sarah going to have kids? It's about time for you to have kids, isn't it? Now, although these were intended as fairly harmless questions, they could pierce me and Sarah to the core again and again. We wanted something, and for some reason, it just wasn't happening for us. Sarah took lots of tests and they came back negative and I consoled my wife on several occasions as we journeyed through this together. And if I'm honest, I had almost resigned myself to the fact that this wouldn't happen uh, for us until one day Sarah brought out four different tests in one hand, looking very excited. These tests, they range from expensive to very cheap and she held the cheap ones to the top. And I looked at the cheap ones and I couldn't see anything. And so I just said, I am so sorry, darling. Little did I know, though, that the uh, more expensive ones uh, were showing up a, a true positive for us. Now, Sarah was very confused at my reaction when I said, I'm so sorry, darling. And she said, no, idiot, look at this. She didn't say that, she's very, she's far too kind. And suddenly, I realized what she was trying to tell me. There was a little life being created inside of her. This was something that we had been praying for and wanting for years and years. And after all of this seeming heartache, we were experiencing this miracle of new life. We were so excited about this new life that we were going to experience. But in Luke 15, we're told that whenever anyone, whenever any person experiences the new life that Jesus offers us, there is literally rejoicing in heaven. If you've had a child and you've rejoiced in that moment of discovering that you're going to have a child, that is just a fraction of what is happening in the heart of God when you experience new life in Him. In Luke 2.14, we see this experience when Jesus Himself is born. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on, on earth, peace to those on whom His favour rests. And we're told that whenever someone uh, experiences the new life that Jesus offers, this is the kind of song that happens in heaven when you accept this new life. So new, eternal life is possible. It's possible for everyone if they place their trust in Jesus. But there's a process that needs to happen that you go through that Jesus speaks about just before this well-known verse in John 3.16. At the beginning of this passage, in verses 1 to 8, uh, Jesus is having a discussion with a guy called Nicodemus. And, he, and it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus said, asked. Surely they can't, cannot 
uh, enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, very, uh, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirits. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, if you've been around an evangelical church for any period of time, you have probably heard this term used, born again, at some stage. A couple of uh, decades ago, ago, it became the thing to say that I am a born-again Christian, as opposed to just simply a cultural Christian. But let's step back from that phrase for just a minute, because that's a pretty weird thing to say. I mean, to say to anyone, I have been born again, that's not a particularly normal thing to uh, to really say. And it's a weird thing for Jesus to say here when he's speaking to, uh, to Nicodemus. Now, we can just skip past it and assume what Jesus means, but really Nicodemus's question here is very valid. I mean, hang on, Jesus. You're telling me that I need to go back into my mum and be born again. It's kind of weird. Now, for most people, birth, uh, as opposed to to movies, is not this magical uh, experience, as can be depicted in uh, in some things. Um, There were experiences that my wife and I had in the birthing suite that I had not experienced before. Let me take you back. One time in particular, my wife was having contractions and she asked for some water. So what did I do as a good husband? I went and got some water and I handed it to her and her response was, just wait, not now. (laughs) So I backed off, patiently waited for when she might want the water. So I was sitting right next to her and then a few seconds later, she said, where is my water? Get it now. Now, I didn't know what to do this whole time. This was a very new experience for me. Um, And the the reason this is a very new experience for me is if you know my wife at all, she is one of the most peaceful, kind, relaxed kind of people. So experiencing something like this was very, very different. In particular, the thing that was very strange for me is that she was very blunt to me, but she was still very polite to all of the uh, the hospital staff that uh, that were there. As I was just thinking, uh, thinking about that, I was also just thinking about Jesus' birth that we remember here at Christmas time and the way that we can portray it at times. The portrayal uh, that Jesus' birth often gets is this peaceful, beautiful scene where some nice animals are and some angels are singing. But Mary's birth would not have been any prettier than any other birth. In many ways, it was a lot less pretty She was pushed away from every place of residence and she was stuck going into an animal barn where there would have been animal food and animal droppings everywhere. It would have been unhygienic and smelly. And then to top it all off, at the end of giving birth, she gets a knock, knock, knock on the door and who's there? Some shepherds. Now shepherds, they weren't considered highly during their day. 
they were literally considered the equivalent of pirates in their day because they were known for stealing and harming people. And these were the people who get shoved in Mary's face just after she's given birth. Now, for anyone who has been in that situation before, you would uh, want to be in a place that is clean and relaxing, not in a barn with animals, and then some smelly strangers coming in to pay you a visit. That's exactly what Mary's birth was like. It was a messy, messy night when she gave birth to Jesus. And we have this song at Christmas time called Silent Night which has these words, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Now for a few mums in the room, my guess is that if you were going to choose uh, verbs to describe your birth, you probably wouldn't use calm and bright. So when Nicodemus... Let's go back to Nicodemus. When he hears, uh, this guy who knows the, the Bible really well, when he hears that you must be born again, this is the kind of picture that he's getting. His picture is that a literal, physical rebirth has to take place. And that's understandable for him to be thinking that. But then Jesus clarifies his point by saying, the Spirit gives birth to the spirits. So there has to be this changing that takes place on the inside when you come into relationship with Jesus. You don't just change your lifestyle a little bit. You don't just have a new belief system. But when you are born again, you enter into this new life. You begin to experience the fullness of the life that Jesus offers in, uh, in knowing the future age coming into your own present. And so you begin to experience heaven on earth in yourself right now. You are called, in other places in the Bible, you are called a new creation. Later on in John's Gospel, in chapter 10, Jesus, he reinforces this picture of what he is saying about this new life that we have when we are born again. When we are born again, there is this whole new life that starts. And in John 10, we see, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. When Jesus gives us life, gives us new life, he, uh, he gives it in all of its fullness. That's the language here. Other translations will use this word abundantly. So when we are born again, we experience new life in complete abundance. Now, it sounds great to experience this sort of life. Every single person wants to experience a life where they feel like they are doing it in all of its fullness. Everyone wants to be living an abundant life. And yet to do this, there is a cost. 
to experience this kind of life, you need to be willing to lay down your old life. To enter into new life, you need to be willing to say goodbye to the old life. This isn't about feeling obliged or obligated to suddenly set a, follow, a set of rules or obligations. It's about being able to truly experience the life that Jesus came to offer you. To experience the gift of life that Jesus came to offer you. To experience this, all you have to do, you place your tr- the trust of your life in Jesus. You say no to your own way of doing things and yes to the life that Jesus offers. And this is the greatest gift that you could receive this Christmas. This is something that I experienced myself when I was 15 years old. I was walking on the beach at the Sunshine Coast and I knew all of these things about new life in Jesus. I knew about Jesus at Christmas time and what it meant for us, but I'd never actively taken a step to do anything about it. But on this beach, looking at the sun and the waves, knowing Jesus as God created all of this, I decided in that moment to say goodbye to my own way of living and yes to the life that Jesus offers. There has been no point whatsoever that I've ever looked back and regretted that decision. Accepting the life that Jesus offers is the only kind of life that I want to live. This is an amazing gift that Jesus offers you this Christmas. But it came at a cost. It costs you to say goodbye to your old life, but it costs Jesus everything. For us to experience this new life... We're told in this passage that we just read that Jesus, he had to give up his life for us. Yes, Jesus came at Christmas as a baby, but for us to be born again and know new life, Jesus had to die to open up a way for us to experience this new life. We can't remember at Christmas time just Jesus' birth without also remembering why he came. He came to die and rise again so that we might be given access to receive the true life that he offers us. I'm just going to invite the team to come up right now. and We're going to hear um, an item from the team. We're just going to remain seated during this, uh, during this song. And as the team's sharing this with us, we're going to be hearing words about a gift that was given to us, this gift of Jesus that we have the opportunity to receive. And that's the opportunity that you are given here tonight. There is this gift of Jesus who came unto us, and every single one of you has the opportunity to receive him here tonight. Let me pray for you, and then we'll hear from the team together. Jesus, thank you for the life that you offer us. Thank you for the, um, for the quality and fullness of life that you offer us. Yes, we know, Lord, that it's not always going to be easy if we accept life from you. In many ways, certain things might become more difficult. And yet we are able to experience elements of the coming age in our life right now if we accept you as our Lord and Saviour. And so, God, I just really ask that even right now as we listen to this song, as we hear about you, the greatest gift of all time, that we might receive you afresh once again. We might understand what it means to have the fullness of life that you offer. 
Lord, for anyone here tonight who hasn't experienced that in their life before or anyone joining with us online right now, Lord, I do ask that you will help us to make that step, to be born again and enter into the new life that you offer us. In Jesus' name, amen.